0: Greetings, future fossils. This is Michael Garfield welcoming you to another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time. Tonight is Christmas Eve, and as I wait for my partner and her family to get back from watching some house in their neighborhood play Perfect Circle to its own rave-worthy coordinated light show... Something I didn't even know was happening, but, I mean, it is 2018. I think we are kind of behind relative to our expectations, so it's little things like this that remind me that we are, in fact, making incremental gains and that progress is not total bullshit. Well, it's on nights like tonight that I'm glad, although somewhat naked to admit that forgetting the dongle for this computer audio setup, I'm able to record this intro on the vastly improved microphone in my laptop. Yeah, you know, the present that is our past future is not so bad. And for all of the dark twists that I take in this show, I really just want you to know how grateful I am for the opportunity to walk with you at least conceptually, right, into the next. I think we have clearly established on this show that time is neither simply linear nor simply cyclical, but fractal and higher dimensional than any of us can understand. So that's why the future continues to surprise itself with its revivals and exhumations why the past continues to surprise us with its advanced futurity. It all comes down to where you're standing on the fractal. There is no future. There are locations, local optima, places where potential folds in on itself under its own weight until it is actually Christmas and in what I think Gene Gebser would have recognized as an integral apprehension of time, there is, in the collective turning of attention into the silent and holy of a night, into that space of potential, and Noel, the novel, the new novelty, the first ingress of novelty— a divine spark, a kind of archaic initiation around which has accreted a kind of magical significance around, which has congealed great myth around, which grows a system of meaning and value from which myth is consciously grown around, which an acknowledgement of otherness And the relational reality of our being grows if we are lucky. I mean, if we have a suitably complex environment that requires this of us, and then the strange loop of selfhood can turn back upon itself, acknowledge its own automatic and reflexive nature, you know, follow that guiding star to the manger where the seat of the soul rests. Be your own wise men and visit your own birth. Whatever it is you celebrate, it's a fine time to decode the myth, tune into that magic, and as a deeply rational and empirical act... Look as far upstream as you can to the very moment of the origin of you in this. It's constantly renewing because you are a self-assembling process thing. You're continuous. You don't click in and out of being. You're assembled and you constantly make do from what's around. But even though for the conveniences of your own story, you declare a start and end, you don't. And this is hard for some of us to live with. I know, but anyway, I think that ultimately it is healthy, wise, and good to recognize your continuity, With everything and Merry Christmas. We have an awesome guest this week. It's Trisha Eastman. She leads people through encounters with a deeper, wider, and more networked self and world than they usually have access to. File this one under episodes in which we deal with trauma and discuss the resurrection of the cultural modalities that let us deal with trauma in a better way. But also, as you know, I am quite fond of questions of the validity and the solidity of the things that we witness when we're vulnerable, and challenge our cognition and its biases. Even as I say some things that I can't believe when I hear myself saying them editing this episode. So, enjoy. Tricia Eastman, it's a pleasure to have you on Future Fossils.
1: Yay, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. It's an honor.
0: So, let's see, where were we? In the general scheme of things, we're thinking about one of the big things that we could just start with is the Archaic Revival, right? Because we're here, you are an entheogenic practitioner. I am obsessed with looking at cultural retrieval and how a new era sort of dredges up that which the previous era repressed. And, uh, And there's so many different ways that this is coming out. So let's sort of orbit that as we talk about how you got into the work and the kind of work that you do, you know, how you were sort of drawn into it and how you see it in the bigger picture of stuff. And we can, you know, take that whichever way you want.
1: Beautiful. Okay.
0: How did you become a medicine practitioner?
1: So it's an interesting story. I never had any um inkling that this was going to be my future. Uh, I hate to use the word career because it's really my life's mission, my Dharma, um, you know, you could call it. And it started because I, you know, when I was really young, worked at a counterculture bookstore um, called Raver Books. Where was this? And we uh, in Seattle, Washington. okay on Capitol Hill, and uh, we would throw these um, illegal underground parties, and uh, you know, people would take too much medicine. Uh, take too much MDMA mixed with LSD mixed with you know cannabis and and have a really hard time, and I would be kind of the mother and and hold space for those people, um, you know sometimes and, it, and interestingly it ended up like even getting older into my thirties uh, when I got married which I'm divorce now, going to festivals in Miami, like Ultra Music Festival, and at the time there wasn't any uh, psychedelic first aid. And they had uh, psychedelic first aid would be like Zendo Project, where they have the stations at Burning Man or at Lightning in a Bottle. And if you're having a, a challenging experience, it's a place to lay down, to get support and um, to just be feel safe um, and, and have people support you through a challenging experience. So, they di- you know, they didn't have that at festivals until, you know, recently and not all festivals even have have that service available for attendees and I used to go to a lot of electronic music festivals growing up so I ended up kind of being again like there'd be two girls and you know they'd be 13, 14 years old, and, you know, there'd be some creepy guys around them, and they, they are having a hard time taking too many medicines and, you know, too much LSD and too much, you know, whatever else they were taking, and, and you know, I, I would kind of say, oh, come with me, and we'll, we'll, we'll take care of you and hang out with them and make sure they were safe and make sure they had enough water. So, fast forward, I'm in my 30s, really unhappy I've built the perfect life though like what seems from the surface is the perfect life but I'm really unhappy and so I take some some MDMA and I go on this journey and and in the journey I have this deep realization I literally make contact with an entity that I uh, experienced as like an angelic being that basically said it was time for me to to go find myself And this was about nine years ago that this happened. And within several months of that time, I decided that I was on the wrong path. And so I literally left behind my husband, my four houses, all my material possessions. Um, I didn't know what I was Going to do, but I knew that I needed to be of service to humanity. I knew that whatever I was doing, I needed to make a switch and and find that thing that I could that I could give as a gift to the world. And so it was like my hero's journey. And um, in that process, I had been reading this book uh, called Plant Spirit Medicine, and actually, I'm sorry, it's Plant Spirit Healing by Pam Grout. And uh, in the book, she talks about ayahuasca. And I'm thinking, you know, I live in Seattle, Washington, very, you know, there isn't really a lot of that, you know, psychedelic subculture like there is in in places like Los Angeles. Um, And I literally thought I was going to have to go to the jungle and have this experience. I went to Europe, actually, for five months, traveled um, had some very powerful spiritual like visions through like meditation practice, and realized that I needed to move to Los Angeles literally, right when I got off the plane. I met someone at this really cool place called Cafe Gratitude, which is this really awesome place where, you know, all the meals are affirmations, and it's really meant to to set this positive, loving place, including how, you know, the the owners uh, take care of their employees in, you know, just a very conscious way, and I met this really interesting person. They're like, oh, I'm going to an ayahuasca ceremony this weekend. You want to go with me? And so literally, I had my first ayahuasca experience in the Hollywood Hills with a uh, curandera from Columbia, an ayahuasca shaman. And uh, it was it was a really powerful experience for me. Um, I didn't realize, I mean, just working with that medicine again, that I wasn't that I wasn't going to be facilitating myself. I never had that, that inkling in my mind. And then literally several months later, I met this owner of a clinic in Mexico that does abogaine treatment for heroin addiction. And uh, his name is Martin Polanco. And I met him actually at a festival. And I said to him, I said, what do you think about abogain for eating disorders? Because I had severe debilitating eating disorders that had kind of ruled my life since I was 10 years old and I really wanted to get down to the core of how to love myself and how to love my body and accept myself fully. So, um, I, I went to Mexico, he actually decided to do kind of a little experiment with me. And uh, we I went down to Mexico, and literally, I'm laying in a bed next to someone who's going through a heroin detox, which was pretty intense.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: And again, I mean, it was the most powerful experience in my life. It was the first time I had truly seen myself as that connection to that web of life to all things and saw in that singularity a uh, oneness like complete oneness and I was able to just fully love and accept myself and I just remember crying for probably oh I don't even know it felt like two hours it was a very long experience the whole abugain journey that I was on lasted for probably about 24 hours and at the very end of the journey this is all happening at this this house in in Rosarito which is in Baja Mexico um i got to receive uh this medicine that comes from the venom of the sonoran desert toad which is 5-MeO DMT mm-hmm. and uh again just like complete you know dissolving into oneness into just that that connection to all things and it it permanently shifted the way that i saw myself and saw the world in terms of being connected to all things and i asked the medicine while i was in the medicine space because i was just so grateful for this this being available for me uh how can i be of service and uh within three weeks uh the owner of the clinic asked me if i could assist in facilitating the psycho-spiritual program for the clinic, and that's kind of what launched my career into the medicine, um, which later eventually uh, led me to being initiated into the Dasumba branch of Buiti, working with the powerful medicine Iboga, as well as facilitating retreats internationally all over the world with Iboga and Bufo Alvarius.
0: Mm. Wow. So... There is something in there that I I deeply resonate with which is the history of watching spun kids flip out at festivals with no one there around to protect or guide them or sit them to use the the trip term. And you know, this is a theme that comes up again and again on the show which is rebooting lost continuity, you know, mm-hmm. reestablishing these traditions whereby our, a culture of youth rediscovers the value and significance of elders you know where our, our our obsession with the first third of a person's life is tempered and we realize that we do actually need intergenerational education and presence and discourse and and uh, that there is in in a space as complex and and confusing as The contemporary world is I mean this is it's I think it's always been true it's always been true that human beings would have been better off with an aunt or an uncle or you know someone there outside of the nuclear you know what we call the nuclear family which is itself sort of this weird atomistic reduced version of the village right like their atoms don't exist on their own they exist you know in molecules or in in gases or crystals or whatever and there's something about you know I've told festivals over the years you may be hiring me to play music or to paint or whatever but really you're also hiring me because above board you can't hire a psychedelic harm reduction team for this Mm -hmm. event because legally it incriminates you in drug activity ever since the rave act you know from the 90s people don't you know that this is a huge piece of this this is why you know america is so far behind europe in this regard or so much of europe that that we have this thing where somebody throwing the event or the venue hosting the event can be criminally liable if they you know as drug dealers if they put these kind of like Cautionary measures in place if they're trying to like save kids from fishing out, taking too much or whatever. And so, yeah, we're in this weird spot where one, the necessity of guides in the complexity of the spaces that we're inhabiting, psychedelic or not. And then the other is having to do it underground. Like you started this by talking about how these were underground parties, it wasn't like woven into the culture. And yeah. so and so, I'm curious, like, how it is for you to work in this space to, like, deal with these tensions as a public figure uh, working in a space that's, like, legally very contentious where sometimes you have a religious defense and sometimes you don't and how it is to have to sort of smuggle the sacred into the global shopping mall, basically.
1: Yeah, it's a really delicate balance because it 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 really is important in this work to set it up in a way that everything that you could possibly need is set up perfectly and then there is also this this thing with capitalism getting involved and how can we integrate just like the old temples uh you know the old uh like the knights of templar Uh, Where where a big part of the 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 religious aspect or spiritual aspect was um, commerce sacred, you know, sacred commerce. So so you could say. And so I think that there is an important balancing point with with the medicines becoming so public with things like the cannabis industry where we don't want it to be too commercialized. We want to keep the integrity of that, and at the same time, we also have this huge issue of legality. I mean, the truth is this: right now, we are at a point that every time, and this is what I've understood from just the different government and uh, legal conversations that I'd, I've had, is you know, the Native American Church is such a gift. It's su- it's such a blessing that we have that available to us. And uh, it's kind of being allowed. Um, it's really interesting. The the UDV, Church of Santo Dime, they actually have federal agents that come in and check the log of who, you know, who came through and, and just like if they were going in and checking other places that, that have controlled substances. So, you know, it's, it, it's definitely something that, um, it, you know, the government knows about police know about and at the same time there's this interesting um situation in that if they make any huge and i hate to use words like they um by the way (laughs) they uh, they if if you know these structures that exist currently our system uh, which is not for us being able to have cognitive liberty and freedom to use the substances that we want and instead set up st- safe structures for us if they were to go after these underground ceremonies, which I do most of my work internationally by the way, so I, I try to be really careful in that line since I do talk on a lot of podcasts and you know do a lot of workshops and things talking about You know psychedelics in in many different realms and um if they were to let's say for instance start shutting down like underground ayahuasca ceremonies like the 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 way that i first experienced it when i moved to los angeles uh they would have such a blowback because um, basically any person that got shut down could counter sue and say that they are impeding religious rights. And so right now we're kind of in this little space, this little nook where if we're really careful in how we go about it and the languaging that we use and just being really kind of, you know, using things like the Signal app, you know, to talk about things like that, we're kind of in this little... Safe zone, and I do believe, and I I believe this really strongly from connecting with the medicines and and having the medicines talk to me about this that there is some protection, that the medicines are protecting those that are doing this work in a good way. Um, At the same time, I do feel that there's so much opportunity because we're so limited number one, in resources, number two, in communication, because doing like things in that way, like underground, doesn't allow you to really spread the word in a way that you can build a movement and get people together that all have an agreement like, hey, we'd like to have this available. Let's buy this building over here and open a church so that we can do 5MEO legally in a way that it makes it more accessible to others. And I think that's going to be the next phase, um, because if you look at the route of the FDA legalization, even maps, that was a 25 year battle just to get MDMA approved, which is now going to be um, at the expanded access level, which means it won't be covered for insurance purposes. But people for I think the number is and please don't take this literally, but <laughs> I had heard thirty thousand dollars for three treatments of of psychedelic assisted therapy mdma for ptsd and 15 sessions of integration psychotherapy included in that whole package but it's not you know not most people aren't going to be able to do that and that's kind of the way that they've gotten the approval like the the green light for 2019 from what i understand
0: Mm. Um, yeah i think a lot of those those because we're talking about, you know, you, you bringing up the expanded access. This is facilities that are making this available to people even before it's available through a health, like, you know, through that insured provider, which is a couple years further still down the road. Yep. So there are going to be uh, when I heard Rick Doblin speaking about this earlier this year, he said that he based on what he knew that there would be thousands of these treatment centers opening up in the next couple years that were yes i mean and that's i mean as far as i guess maybe that's another place to take this which is not just the preventative piece of it but especially given your work with iboga the Mm -hmm. the uh post-traumatic piece of it i was just talking with zach stein uh on a recording yesterday and i asked him what he thought the future was going to look and feel like and he's uh, zach stein is a harvard educated psychologist and a, mm-hmm. a member of the 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 meta-modernists you know this like what comes after modernity
1: and <laughs>
0: and and i he just wrote this really beautiful piece about love in between in the time between worlds about the 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 resurgence of metaphysics and like a metaphysics of love and human being as mm. necessary guiding us through this sort of uh, transitional period but when, when i asked him about this he said specifically he thought that a big piece of what we were going to have to work through together was the post tragedy of you know waking up in the middle of a burning house you know yeah. and like maybe we kind of put the fire out before the whole house burns down but we still lost a lot In that process you know like maybe maybe we save one rhino species but we lost the other three so it's like that's everywhere and so a big piece of this is the aftermath and I'm curious to hear you speak as a facilitator about what it is to come in and do that work with people who I think like all of us are carrying some extraordinary wound just for participating in this world yeah and so how is that
1: I think like the more that we can understand the structures of the mind, the more that we can um, transcend trauma. And I think that the consciousness mapping that's happened through, you know, the different mystical traditions as well as through, you know, these fabulous psychonauts who have have written a bunch of amazing books about their experiences and and just the, the similarities between all of that. I feel that what we're moving into is a world that um, really is about understanding how to face our shadow understanding how to face our darkness really understanding how to have those those hard conversations with people because a lot of our trauma is around human interaction that's why we have so much war on our planet and so a lot of the decisions that we make are basically false structures of safety you know structures Mm. that make us feel safe Like locking your door. Does locking your door really actually make you safe? (laughs) If someone wants to get into your house, they're going to get into your house. And people are intelligent. You know, that's just one example. But the truth is that we are all walking around with a lot of trauma. And that trauma exists within our egoic structure, our our egoic framework, the, the part of us that is separate. And if we can understand... And, and can be observers, and that's what these psychedelic medicines do, is they help us to be an observer and understand that that is actually an aspect of us. It's not us. Then we can get into a space where we can start really interacting in a more peaceful way. And I feel that the reason we moved into these little, like you said in the beginning, uh you know, single serve families versus <laughs> like these tribal, tribal, you know, groups of people is because we're walking around with so much trauma that that's like our safe little box. You know, like our mom, our dad, our sister, our brother. These people aren't going to try to kill us or steal our money, or maybe they would still, but you know, but they're a family, so that's okay. Um, but <laughs> so we we have to really look at. What is the future going to be? And I think like the Burning Man culture has been by far one of the biggest social, political and spiritual movements of our time that I think is an example of how how, number one, it's brought back the rite of passage, which was something that was missing from our ancient culture, you know, really having to go through that really challenging, hard experience in order to see your true nature. And the other piece is really about that, that idea of bringing community back together and co-creating and radical responsibility in your life in all areas, including cleaning up your shit, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's where we're moving as a culture is like energetic responsibility in all decisions that we make. And if we can operate from that space, we can restore the planet. And the downloads that I've received, and I don't want to get too woo-woo and weird, but I'll just say that go ahead (laughs) there are from what i understand from what i've experienced and and i highly recommend that if you haven't had that experience maybe be curious and and if you have a, a mystical experience maybe go in with with the questioning of this but there are benevolent beings that are assisting Uh, the ascension of the planet and assisting us in um, really coming back into harmony and uh, I feel like once we get to a certain point of our own sovereignty within ourselves of taking responsibility for the world that we want for ourselves that. We're going to receive a lot more assistance. And there's going to be like just transmissions of, of, you know, okay, here's a new technology to take plastic out of the ocean. Here's a new technology to heal Fukushima. And so I think the more that we just keep creating containers to connect. Um, to connect within into our inner wise person, but also to connect in community and kind of share our best practices of how we're connecting, then um, that's going to really be a massive shift to the planet. And I, I believe anything is possible because we've never done this before. We are forging new territories and we are pioneering the future. And so this is an opportunity for all of us to through our responsibility, through our radical responsibility, so, you know, Burning Man language, uh, to really take charge and uh, decide, you know what? I want 50 species of dolphins on my planet. I'm not letting that happen. Okay, let's do this.
0: Mm. So, okay, so you brought it up, and it's been a theme on the show recently. Uh, Every single conversation that we've had involving psychedelics has raised the issue of the the beings that we encounter in these spaces and it, you know it's it is a persistent Who is it uh, Phil dick says reality is that which if you stop believing in it does not go away there's something about the persistence of these experiences among um, the, even the hardcore atheists skepticist trippers out there that are still encountering these these beings and so, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't I don't think that it's... In, insofar as, you know, anecdote, pluralized, is data, right? I think that we have a kind of a, uh, a closet effect of people having these experiences and thinking that they're woo-woo and being, like, awkward talking about them. But I have spilled my guts about this stuff on a couple episodes recently. My own UFO encounters and that kind of thing. So, So I'd love to hear... Even though it, it may be kind of a detour, I'd love to hear you talk about how you came to a sense of acceptance that this is a valid experience, and that it and and how you feel like seeing the world in this way has i don't know what what has it done for you and your practice and the way that you actually live your life?
1: Mm, thank you. Uh, i mean it's It's really interesting because when I was really young i had these experiences where i would encounter negative entities not necessarily negative i mean they were scary to me they as a kid i was afraid of them and uh i grew up in a really christian family and my my parents actually sent me to the pastor of the church and they did this ceremony basically like what it equivalates to to try to close my third eye because i had a really like open third eye so I I my whole life I would see these like ghosts and different things and it got to the point when I was in my 30s when I was traveling a lot I'd stay in these old hotels and people would like I literally would have things come into my room at night, and I would just drink. I'd be like, "Hey, oh, you can't bug me if I'm passed out. If I drink this bottle of wine, this ghost cannot fuck with me," <laughs> you know. And so I would do that. I would just be like, "Okay, I just need a, I just need a bottle tonight because." And shit. until I started understanding that they all they wanted was to be shown to the light, and that you know part of my purpose was to help these different lost energies to. Find their way home. And interestingly, um, as I went through this awakening experience, a big phase of my awakening experience was leaving my matrix job, working (laughs) for myself, and in that process, getting really fascinated with healing work and studying a lot of these modalities, you know, different bioenergetic healing modalities. And when I started studying them, i would get these visitations at night uh from different like i there were these blue beings that i think were blue avians it seems to be a common descriptor that i've heard from having conversations with other people i had other types of angelic beings and i would have like i remember this one time when i literally first had this experience of waking up where i had this ball that came above my like above me while I was in bed sleeping I woke up in the middle of the night I'm sleeping next to the guy this is a guy that I was dating at the time after my divorce and literally this ball is talking to me telepathically and I'm not on any psychedelics by the way and um there's like fire coming out of it and it looks like almost like the sun but like more gaseous and fiery and it tells me to put my hands and my feet up so here i'm laying in bed and i've got my hands straight up in the air and my feet straight up in the air and it starts sending this like energy through my hands and i start like shaking and it was it was telling me it was giving me this like light body upgrade type of i mean i I didn't fully understand it, but I definitely felt it, and I knew something was happening, and it didn't feel like it was negative, and I didn't feel negative afterwards. And then, um, as these experiences continued i was very fortunate because my best friend at the time like someone who we we had spent like seven years together in this kind of path of of this deep spiritual work as we were both we were kind of initiated at the same time which we one night she was with me and literally these blue avians came in the room and they started like working on us and like giving us like light body activations and i know this sounds so weird um and we don't know um, how
0: weird it will sound to people a 100 years from now
1: yeah that's true Uh, they might be like oh
0: yeah yeah, those guys or they (laughs) might be like all humans were insane (laughs)
1: a hundred years ago, we were, we were totally crazy. And so then these beings literally like my friend was having the exact same experience as me and I remember one time one of the beans was saying something to me. It was telling me to kneel in front of the bed. And I kind of just stood there and I like looked over at my friend and she's like, it said to kneel in front of the bed. Did you hear him? And I was like, okay. So I was like, I I wanted to make sure I wasn't seeing and hearing things. And so, yeah, it was was such an interesting phenomena. And many people in... um, DMT experiences see beings and entities and I I do believe that This is a part of the collective consciousness I can't necessarily say What that's all about and I I think it's more again one of those things. I encourage people to be be curious about
0: mm. Yeah, the like again to, to draw in the meta modernist view here the meta modernist articulation of science is that You know what we're moving into is is much more humble and it's Mm -hmm. provisional so we come up with an idea but we never rest on it forever you know we're Mm -hmm. never like satisfied we know that you look at the, the people who are speaking from the state of the art hundred years ago and some of the stuff even the the most intelligent visionary people was just like painfully out except for Rudolf Steiner for whatever reason that guy in 1915 gave a talk about meteoric iron and uh the sulfur of the dragon and like the iron being like associated with archangel michael and he talked Mm -hmm. about this whole thing about iron rise the iron falling from the skies with the meteors as the dragon rises up as the life force from earth and i was like dude luis alvarez this is a total tangent but whatever Mm -hmm. luis alvarez uh came up with the the comet impact hypothesis for the end of the the dinosaurs in 1980 and steiner was talking about it in 1915 and i was like whoa so at any rate most of us are are not that astute the point being that i think that it it is it's just vastly more enjoyable to admit that we don't know what the hell is going on Mm. and to look to like you said like you did to look to the fruits of these experiences in your actual life. It's not just about whether it makes you feel good in the moment, but like does your interaction with this experience, you know, as you're processing it down the line, what kind of effects does it have? And it's like an opportunity for curiosity. And this so this is something I'd be really curious to hear you talk about as a facilitator because as mm-hmm. a facilitator – you get these. Uh, anybody who's been through—I've—I've I've never done iboga, but I've—I've I've done ayahuasca ceremony a few times, and you, there is a palpable moment in some of these where something enters the room, and yeah, everyone there is aware of it, and everyone there is reacting to it in in their uh, you know their sort of way, and even if it is you know if you could just like wave it away as a consensual hallucination, I mean, so is, you know, the two party system. So like mm-hmm. the, the fact is that it's persistent. And what I notice in these spaces is that some people come out of these experiences being like, yeah, we had to ward ourselves against these demonic presences, you know, like this, like you said, you're like, well, I found it scary. not saying it was negative and i think that there's something in uh, people are so inclined to regard another entity as an other as something outside Mm -hmm. of themselves and i'm and you just said that a huge piece of this is in re-internalizing everything and owning all this stuff and i think there's something about especially with my experience of like ghosts Mm -hmm. um there's something about Even if it's not like, even if the ghost is sort of a discreet personality, you know, Mm -hmm. that I'm like in a conversation with, one ghost in particular that's sort of tagged along with me over the years. (laughs) (laughs) So now you're free from being weird, right? I've announced myself as as vastly weird. Um, But this presence, there's something about taking emotional responsibility for her that changes... Her appearance in my life changes the way that her presence is felt by those close to me who I'm not the only one who has experienced this this Mm -hmm. uh, this being and so in a way it's almost like the right thing to do is to treat it as though it's yours in a sense not like it's something that you need to like lock in the basement again but I'm curious How, you know, how this stuff comes up in in your experience and and how you advise people to relate to these matters?
1: Mm. Well, I think that when we look at, you know, for instance, um, the dream time and we look at uh, psychedelic experiences, at least the medicines that I work with the most, which is the 5-MeO and the Iboga, both activate the REM in the brain which is activating the subconscious mind and the whole idea behind all of these is is activating that subconscious and so when you look at the subconscious all it's doing is trying to communicate to you and the subconscious basically i like to think of it like you know when you're playing pictionary mm-hmm. and you draw the picture and you're like and then you're like starts with a C, but you you have to communicate it in a way that that would be understandable to the person that you're trying to communicate the the, the subconscious doesn't necessarily have a language i mean it, it can speak to you but it's only speaking to you through your interpretation of what you're what you're seeing and what you're experiencing and so i really believe that Whatever these things are that are coming up, they have some aspect of self, meaning there is something there for you. There's a message for you, something that you need to receive, to learn, to let go of. And that, I think, also includes these things that show up in the physical reality that um, typically tend to show up when we're alone when we're in a certain state of consciousness, um, when our brain waves are in a certain state, it's not like you're like driving the car. And although I I wouldn't say that couldn't happen, um, but they usually happen in kind of a a, a certain type of energy. Like I notice, like like in the evening or when the body's in a more restful place. And so I do believe that that these are messages that are important. And I think the more that we try to separate them from ourselves, the more that they aren't able to give you that message. And so the most important thing is to look at, for instance, if you're having these visions, you know, what does this person represent for you? Like, what are they? What what aspect of self are they representing? And um, what could this be a reflection of in your life?
0: Mm. yeah it's very balanced i remember you know carl jung talked about the gods as possibly an internal representation of messages from the body from like the different organ systems Mm -hmm. and you know that's why they're transcultural that's why you get the same sort of beings appearing in the east and west separated by thousands of miles and years and and all that stuff. And so that there is, you know, even maybe getting caught up on the sort of objective, empirical, or external is a mistake. I like your emphasis on focusing on on the content of it, Mm -hmm. you know. Although, the medium is the message, right? So there is Mm -hmm. this sense in which there's something about it appearing to you in the form of a, you know, an angelic visitation or whatever that is sort of itself a, a crucial piece of that content, right? Like, like Terrence McKenna and Jung both talked about that, about the UFO as a sort of wake-up call, you know, that just the simple fact of it, its existence confounds us and it, like, humbles us. Well, I don't know. I, I you know, before we I, I, let's let's take a, a hairpin turn here, um, because before you and I got on this call, we we were talking a little bit over email about the talk that you recently gave on integrating indigenous practices into the modern world. And I know that we we touched on this a little bit already, but I'm curious. I mean, clearly, that sort of uh, no-nonsense, practical way of relating to entities is something that we hear about coming out of indigenous medicine work, you know, that just sort of mm-hmm. like, ah, yeah, they're there. You know, sometimes, you know, it matters, sometimes it doesn't. That kind of like, meh, it's normal. And I'm curious, what else have you been learning about how the indigenous ways of knowing are enriching this work in particular or in the way that we we navigate a you know a modern world and in, in general
1: i think the most important thing that the indigenous wisdom brings to modern culture is the idea of really honoring all life every ceremony whether it's the tp ceremony um you know using the pot medicine uh put on by the lakota or the Micholes, um or if it's you know Iboga, or you know if it's uh, ayahuasca. Every single aspect of these ceremonies have deep symbolism, and those symbolism is really about just really acceptance of life, the laws of nature, and I think the modern day tool for for us as a society to really understand that which i think if if no one has knows about this do you know about the gene keys richard rudd
0: i've heard a little bit about this but i'm not an expert in this area it's it's where they took the the 64 codons of dna and then they yeah. compare it to the 64 hexagrams of the I Ching. Right? exactly yeah.
1: and it and it superimposes and so it's really interesting when you understand through these different cuz i i really believe that we are holographic from what i understand of the way matter works and you know with the way science is evolving actually confirming that there is a, a primary server that is basically just like a projector on a movie screen sending that light and then that light is is bending and separating into different aspects of of power and that through these these different aspects of geometries such as the troidal field which is a merkaba energy Can actually create different forms of density and matter Um, the way and and it's not that it's creating matter it's the way that form is experienced has a different way and so when you look at this I Ching or the gene keys what it's doing is it's actually giving you the architectural map of that it's showing okay in this phase and this expression this is the shadow and every shadow has a gift so each one of these gene keys, 64 has a shadow, a gift, and a city. And the city is kind of like the superpowers that you know we, we, they've talked about in the yogic tradition. That's S I
0: D D H I, listeners. That's not like city like New York. That's C D like telepathy or whatever.
1: So these, these superpowers are really our highest potentials, like our highest expression of ourselves. And so within that container of the sixty-four, you have the, you know, I would call it holographic sphere of reality, which is everything. And that includes you and me and and all consciousness.
0: <clears throat> so specifically it is the the interbeing that you find as sort of the most vital piece of indigeneity bringing into this
1: yes so when you're when you're in ceremony what you're seeing is you're seeing these different laws of nature in action how the fire is a representation of the masculine, but also a representation of the soul and transmutation and healing the moon, how the moon has an effect on the energy of the, the ceremony reflecting the inner world, reflecting the feminine and, you know, a very powerful force. And um, these different aspects in the ceremony that, that represent you know, the masculine, the feminine, um, and even how the medicines work, uh, for instance, Iboga, peyote, San Pedro being more of a masculine medicine and how that behaves versus ayahuasca, DMT in general, mushrooms being more feminine. And so when you understand how these different pieces fit together and this deep understanding gives you an acceptance of life and then And through that acceptance of life, you can start to look at the things that have caused suffering in your life, usually rooted in trauma, and be able to say, oh, okay, so that happened because this is something that was an aspect of life that was out of alignment. And then in coming into wholeness and forgiveness of that, bringing that flow back into your life that flow of of how nature just naturally is and interestingly these um, I call them algorithms Um, plants carry them master plants carry them Um, it's the same patterns that are in a turtle shell or in a Mm. leaf these algorithms are alignment with life. And the the algorithms that are the oppo- opposite of that would be things like EMFs from your cell phone. You know, things that that create entropy. And so the more that we get into these ceremonies and we understand how to align with life, the more that we can really step into the highest expression of ourselves because we are you know, align with healing frequencies and we're, we're able to radiate in a vibration that's receptive.
0: Mm. So where is this, where do you see your work growing? Are you sort of, as a facilitator of these experiences, do you feel like you've sort of found your groove or do you feel that this work is going to continue to exfoliate and carry you into new arenas I, I I don't know exactly how to put that but just like obviously there's something about this that doesn't quote-unquote scale right <laughs> like the, the human human interactive dimension to it is is so you know one-on-one or one-on-few like a teacher you know you can't teach the whole world so how do you how do you understand your own development through this and, and where it's taking you
1: so I think that for me, I, I try to try to say with humility that I don't really know anything. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I'm I'm here in service. And so I'm, my plan is to keep showing up, you know, every day. And, and, and hopefully, you know, some of the form that I feel that I sense that it's going to take, and not just with me, but just in general, is that, I feel that there is going to be more of a collective role in facilitation and that that facilitation is going to be, become a really big part of life, like learning, for instance. Instead of having a teacher like the old patriarchal model, it will be more of a group learning experience where when that group comes together with the right intention through a facilitator kind of really helping hold that space that that group is going to be of service, set themselves in service to allow individuals in the group to basically contribute in the way that's of highest service to the collective evolution of that learning experience for the, Mm. you know, the highest expression of that learning experience. And so I think that's where the facilitator will be really valuable And I would love to support more of those experiences happening. I also believe that we are the medicine. We don't necessarily need to take medicine. I think that we are going to get to the point where we've healed enough of our trauma that we can just be. And, um, you know, I I think that the more that, um, you know, I can help support being a steward of the best practices with this work and helping spread that information, the more that i know that i can support it being carried out in a good way and the truth is that with everything that's happening with maps i believe that it will actually increase massively increase the demand for all these other indigenous traditions as well it's not going to just be there people are going to say oh well you know if that's amazing maybe i should just go to the jungle in peru and have an experience with with ayahuasca or you know have an experience with the in a retreat in Costa Rica or whatever you know starts calling them, but I feel like that's going to be kind of an initiation in the United States. It's going to really expand the demand for this work. And so I think there are a lot of facilitators out there because it is kind of the wild West that, Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily haven't done their own work. You know, they haven't really done their own inner healing work to be able to be a reflection of neutral space because a lot of the core trauma that exists right now is really about being seen. It's, you know, most of the trauma that people carry is usually from something that happened when they were really young, where they weren't fully seen for who they are, fully accepted, Um, not all of it, but a big chunk of it. So I think that when we can all really allow those, those facilitators to step forward in a place of their own wholeness, then they can bring forth the medicine in a way that's going to continue that healing process of allowing people to really be seen and held.
0: Mm. You raise an interesting point here, which is that as we become more aware of the fact that we carry trauma in the first place, and as we become more aware of the technologies by which this trauma can be I want. Uh, it may not even be right to call it. I mean, healing. It's clearly he- a form of healing, but it's like it's it's more just sort of a renegotiation of the deal that you have with your wound, right? Like, yeah. It's not like the wound just completely goes away, but uh, clearly the amount of facilitators that we're going to need, like you just said, is going to just explode. Mm-hmm. But we don't have systems sufficient. To the training of all of these Mm -hmm. people and yet we also like you were talking about earlier in this call we have to be careful not to allow you know if i if i imagine certified iboga facilitator you know from like iboga university or whatever let me see your credentials you know like that doesn't seem like the like that the, the maybe piece of it you know but like, we can't ever sort of go back to that sort of naive relationship to institutionally verified expertise. So how, you know, how do you imagine the human species putting the correct social systems in place to like boot up all of the facilitators that we'll need in the next 20 or 30 years?
1: Hmm. I feel that the first step is core foundational programs. So, you know, when I, whenever I look at, you know, I have people that ask me on a regular basis, they're like, oh my gosh, I think I'm supposed to be a facilitator. And, you know, for me, I really believe that the way that you know is, um, it's not something that you seek, it finds you. And so when I really tune in and I find, that someone has has really truly gotten the calling, like they're ready for that, the first step is healing yourself. And so, you know, that might be some vision questing, that might be doing some really powerful somatic therapy, like somatic experiencing or other forms of trauma work. But I really believe that the first step is um, going into the study of understanding the nature of trauma, how it works, And um, how to heal it. Because if you take someone who goes back into a trauma, like for instance, rape trauma, and they're operating in sympathetic nervous system where they're fully activated and you leave them there too long, you actually can fry their nervous system. And you can actually reactivate the trauma and you can actually put them in a worse place than they were before. And this does happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like the first foundational stuff is really around understanding trauma therapy, studying trauma therapy. And then from there, if someone were to choose, for instance, going into the space of working with with psychedelics, I would probably next phase really uh, look into integration, like psychedelic integration as the second phase. And so what does it take to integrate that experience? What are the integrative practices? Having A Really deep understanding of that and that would involve you know doing a lot of integration circles With others like going to others, you know, there's different course programs that you can study within that then from that space, maybe uh, An apprenticeship with someone that you really admire that you feel is doing really really good work and doing it in a good way
0: But don't come to them right wait for them to come to you in a dream or something.
1: You know, I think that like the way, like whenever people say, oh, what medicine should I do next? Or what should I do? I always say, well, look for signs, like look in your reality for the signs that show up. So ask the question, you know, outwardly to get the reflection back from the from from the universe. And, you know, for that, if someone was asking, oh, should I should I work with with the toad medicine, with the Buffalo various, you know, they'll ask that question and almost every single time they'll say, yeah, I asked that question, and then I started seeing toads everywhere. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it happens. And so like you can actually say, okay, well, am I really being called to be a facilitator? And then look for those signs of like, you know things that would would lead to that but it's so it's so easy because the way that trauma works is basically like a free radical you know it takes that healthy electron and then that one is unstable and it's like seeking out its completion and it's the same with trauma the trauma creates this like deep desire to complete itself and so sometimes that could be uh, instead, you know, you might think it's the call of being a facilitator, but really, it's actually the call to heal yourself.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful because it's like you got to walk through that door either way, don't you? Yeah. You know, no
1: matter what. <laughs> yeah.
0: You you phrase this in an interesting way in terms of shifting the emphasis to a sort of receptive listening with this, and I'm curious. Normally, we wrap these up by I ask guests, if you had a question for the unborn future listeners of this show, or if you had something to say to them, what would it be? You know, what do you, how do you imagine into that space? But rather than giving you the sort of like young, active, masculine, how do you imagine into that? I'd be curious if you sort of open your imagination or your intuition to that seed of a future, mm. of potentiality. What in your receptive state do you actually perceive as futural? How do you think, not how do you think, right? But how do you feel into or from the world that is to come? What's what's it given you right now?
1: Oh my gosh. I see the most beautiful, perfect world. Like literally no plastic in the ocean, clean water, happy, healthy people, living in community, having healthy bodies. And I truly see this through the choices that we make, through this idea of, you know, I hate to, it's it's the most easiest way to articulate it, but karma, like this borderline of making the choice that's from the heart versus from the head. And so really, like, the more that, that we can orient ourselves so the trauma lives in the ego. And so when we look at this future, this future is not about separation or egoic orientation. This future is about connection, the opposite of addiction, I say, which is, I think, what's created this world that we're living in, is seeking outside of ourself, is connection. And the connection is this idea of connecting to that inner wise person and so i see this idea of the the more that we listen the more that we receive us being able to make these higher aligned choices and these higher line choices being ultimately an orientation of our highest expression of ourselves some people even call that your higher self if you you know believe in that idea you can you can use that as an idea um but the higher self or or this highest expression of yourself so like being able to really listen and so i see this world just being absolutely beautiful and perfect and i see that it could happen really quickly If we all make the right choices, I see a tipping point where, you know, the vibration of that alignment really just has an impact on those that are are in suffering and allows it creates a bridge to allow those that maybe aren't receiving these transmissions to also connect to. And so, um, yeah, I, I see us living in a perfect world.
0: I'll take it. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tricia, where, where can people find you? I mean, like you've been so generous and available and I get the sense that if someone had a question that they could come to you. So where, how, how would people do that?
1: So I have a website uh, which um, is really primarily focused on the retreats that I curate, which are really beautiful, really designed to create a feminine experience in the sense of having comfort and, and beauty, like in beautiful locations and authentic medicine experiences. And that is psychedelicjourneys.com. And then I love, I really believe the, the purpose of life is art, like to create art, whether it's music, poetry, uh, books. But a big aspect of of our life is is to create. And so um, my Instagram has uh, is just like an honor to all of the artists that create incredible psychedelic art. And that's um, at psychedelic journeys.
0: Nice, awesome, thanks. Anything yeah. else before we um, release I you into love the ether? You.
1: I love you, and I love all of you, future future fossils out there. Uh, thank you so much for this beautiful opportunity, and I hope to have more conversations in the future about this. And I I truly believe that if we all can connect our hearts together and hold that vibration, um, that we will create that new world, that
0: new earth. It's beautiful, Tricia. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Future Fossils is part of the MindPod Network, along with many other excellent shows. I highly recommend going to MindPodNetwork.com and familiarizing yourself with all of them. If you would like to support the show, please do! Patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. I know attention doesn't scale, which is why I have committed myself to the cultivation of a small focused, high quality community of listeners with this show and paid subscribers. And I would love for you to be a part of it if that's the kind of conversation that inspires you. Thanks for listening. And I'll have another awesome conversation for you next week.